And we would not even be in this room had you not worked. Are you, have you had, were it not be that you are working even now to exalt, to exalt your own self, your own glory, that we might come and be able to behold it. And even now, our beholding of it is veiled. But we look forward to one day when it will be unveiled. Maybe tremble before the thoughts in anticipation of what it will be to see you. So please do a work among us here this morning. For your sake, Lord, and for our good, may we all believe this day. Those of, who, those of us who came in here believing, may we believe more and have greater hope. And Lord, anyone who's come here this day who does not believe, there's not any words that I could say or it would have the power of persuasion to change someone's heart. But you can. And we trust in that this day. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, this is a day that usually brings um, a few more people out to church. And that's a good thing. You know, it's true. Everyone in Hillsdale and Jackson and whatever surrounding county you're from, everyone should be in church this morning. Other places of worship, other like religions should all just shut down. They should all be here. (laughs) They should. I mean, really, that's where they should be. This is where people should be to honor God. And especially on this day, because it's the it's the Sunday of Sundays. Every Sunday we celebrate the resurrection, but then there's one Sunday where we specifically remember this. And it's kind of like a, a diamond you can hold up into the, to the light. You can hold up the resurrection of Jesus, and you can look at it from all kinds of different angles. You can look at it from the Old Testament. You can see what it says there, anticipation of the resurrection. Of course, you could go most obviously to the end of the Gospels, where we heard from earlier from Pastor Aaron, we could hear the prophets speak of it. We didn't even see the prophets depict it, like in Jonah. We could see the promises of it alluded to in David's words in the Psalms. Look at the epistles to see the theology of it explained, or look at Revelation and see the glory of the fulfillment of it. And this is a place that sometimes... People will come even to a church and they'll say, I want to meet with God. And I want to address that question this morning. Where can a person go to meet with God? Where can a person go to meet with God? All right, is this God's house? Sometimes we'll even say that. We're, you know, welcome to God's house. It's good to be in God's the house of the Lord this morning. Is this building the house of the Lord? Are we closer to God because we're in this structure? You've all heard people say things like, you know, I, you know, I can meet with God anywhere. I, I can meet with God in, in nature. I can meet him without, out in the woods when I'm hunting. Or I can um, meet him out on the boat on the weekends. That's where I meet with God. Or I see him when I'm out in the you know, wilderness in the mountains. Or sometimes people like to make it a little more personal. You know? I, I, I'm, I can meet with God most when I'm holding a baby. You know? Or when I'm with my grandkids. That's such like an American way to talk. God is wherever I am, and I meet with him in any of my preferred ways. Wherever I go, God's just there, and I meet with him there, and that's my special spot with God. 
I want to be clear this morning that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the one event in all of history that answers once and for all the question, where can a person go to meet with God? History tells us that man is on a quest to come to terms with that question. There's not a culture on the earth that's not trying to answer that question. Where does a person go to meet with God? Because they recognize that there is a problem. And they're trying to solve it. They're trying to connect with something greater that they feel disconnected from. And that's a really worldly way to talk about it, but that's, that's the way the world would, would understand. There's a reason why all cultures have priests or rituals of some kinds or liturgies or, or standards that you have to attain to to reach the gods or even, even drugs. Like, we'll, we'll take these drugs and it reaches us to a higher consciousness. Temples around the world are monuments to this reality. The reality that we need a means or a place to meet with God. We had a place in the garden. The first men and women had an uninhibited interaction with God. The garden was the meeting place of God and man. You might even say it was the first temple. Remember what it says, and they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. The presence of God was available to them in that place. But we know the story. Because of sin, it was lost. The fellowship enjoyed by Adam and Eve in the garden was broken by sin, and they were banished from that garden temple. Well, though, though man was separated from God, there was still examples of men who sought the presence of God. Whether it be Abel in his sacrifices, or Noah, Job, Abraham, who'd make these sacrifices and, and have these, these altars where they would worship God. Families meeting with God in these places. So time would unfold, and God revealed more and more about how and where mankind was to worship and meet with him. And and really, an explosion of explanation takes place with the coming of the law of Moses. Truth, answering the question, how and where, where can a man go to meet with God? And so the, the law set up this whole system of priests and sacrifices and an actual holy place on earth. That point of interaction was called the tent of, uh, or the, the tabernacle, but we also know it as a place called the tent of meeting, right? The tent of meeting. In Exodus 33, 7, it says, Now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, far off from the camp, and he called it the tent of meeting. And everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside camp. There was a tent. There was a place. A tabernacle. The appointed place to meet with God. If you ever wanted a time to personally go and engage with God, it was in their mind that I I want to go near that place. It's it's kind of a a portable temple, right? That's what it is. It's It's a portable temple. 
Where can I go to meet with God? Heaven and earth meet in that place. No matter, no matter where they wandered, there was always a place to go. Now, of course, we know it was a mediated place. There were priests and sacrifices. Sinners just couldn't rush into the presence of God. All right? it, was, it was a holy place, and they were unholy. Just wanting to be in a holy place doesn't make it open to you. Just because I want to go in the Oval Office doesn't mean I get to. But I really, really want to see it. I really, really want to go. Okay, well, sorry, Rob. You just can't walk in. It's a special place. It's a reserved place. Actually, someone needs to take you into that place. You don't just walk in on your own. In fact, there's something dangerous when we say things like, come to God just as you are. It's easily misinterpreted. And you know what? I don't think any Israelite would ever have said that. I'll just go to God, eh, whoever you are, whatever, whatever, whatever condition you're in, just like, you can go see God. I understand our, our sentiment in saying it, but we need to be careful with our words sometimes. There is a real barrier between us and God, and we can't just come to meet with God just as we are. Well, the story continues, kind of walking us through the Bible right now. After David conquered Jerusalem, then his son Solomon was to build a permanent tabernacle. All right, we know this as the temple, right? The tent of meeting was now built out of stone on God's holy mountain, Mount Zion. It was the center of the nation, and it was the center of their worship. That was where the nation could go to meet with God. I'll read at the dedication of the temple from 2 Chronicles 7. It says, when Solomon finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and, and the sacrifices. And the glory of the Lord filled the temple. The priests could not enter the temple of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled it. When all the Israelites saw the, the fire coming down and the glory of the Lord above the temple, they knelt on the pavement with their faces to the ground. And they worshipped and gave thanks to the Lord, saying, He is good, His love endures forever. It goes on to say a little later, When Solomon had finished the temple of the Lord and the royal palace, and had succeeded in carrying out all that he had his mind to do in the temple of the Lord and his own palace, the Lord appeared to him that night and said, I have heard your prayer, and I have chosen this place for myself, as a temple for sacrifices. Though that temple was destroyed and rebuilt, the temple remained the centerpiece of the identity of the people of God for almost a thousand years. Even when it lay in ruins, they longed for the day when they could rebuild it. In fact, for Israel, it became inconceivable to even engage with God or consider meeting with God apart from this, this permanent tent of meeting. That's why we read all those passages in Scripture about longing for the courts of the Lord. It, it, it's like, that's where we could go to meet with God. Psalm 84 says, How lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty. How I yearn, my soul yearns, even faints for the courts of the Lord. 
My heart, my heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow has found a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may have her young, a place near your altar. Lord Almighty, my King and my God, blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. There's this longing to say, I want to meet with God, and the place to meet with God is in his temple, in his holy temple. So we have this God kind of carrying us along in the story of the Bible. We have God meeting with Adam and Eve in the garden. We have this, this, this portable tabernacle, this tent of meeting that goes around where people identify, that's where I go to meet with God. And then we have the temple. There is a way, there, there, there's a place, there's a path to walk where you may go to meet with God. So you might say, what does all this have to do with Resurrection Sunday? Turn to John chapter 2. And turn, instead of turning to the end of Jesus' ministry, I want to go to the start of it. But I want us to go there with this foundation of the temple under our feet. What Jesus says here in John chapter 2 rests on what I've been saying about where we can go to meet with God. What Jesus says in this passage is going to turn the Jewish world upside down. And when they hear it, they don't actually even understand how radical of a thing it is. Verse 13. The Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple, he found those... He found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there. And making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen. He poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned the tables. And he said to those who sold the pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. His disciples remembered that it was written, zealed. Zeal for your house will consume me. So the Jews said to him, What sign do you show us for doing these things? Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, It has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you will raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When there arose... When, therefore, uh, he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scriptures and the word that Jesus had spoken. Remember that, that scene in Nazareth where Jesus reads from the prophet Isaiah and says, uh, today this is fulfilled in your hearing? And, and, the, and he reads that, and, and actually at the end of that whole exchange, they even want to kill him. I think this is a more radical moment than that. This is a, a punch to the gut to the people whose identity is shaped by that building. And Jesus walks on the scene. He says, destroy this temple and in three days I'll raise it up. I, just, I, just try, I picture this scene. And, and you know, this was a place Jesus was brought as a, as a child. This is where he was as a young boy. Jesus knew this place better than anybody. 
this building. And we could even go back and review the story, and Jesus had been at every temple from the beginning of time. Jesus was in the garden. Jesus was in the tabernacle. Jesus knew what the Holy of Holies looked like. He was there in the midst of the, the, the fire coming down, the glory of God shining. Jesus was no stranger to that temple. But let's step back and look at this scene here. The temple had become a marketplace, a house of trade. Instead of being a place where people would come to meet with God and worship Him and pray, it was dominated by this system of corruption and power and buying and selling. He sees the, the corruption, and, and, and with this messianic zeal, he tears the place apart. And they remember the Psalms where it says, zeal for your house will consume me. All right, this is no ordinary anger Jesus has. It's just pretty amazing when, when this occurs, you think like temple guards would have taken him out, right? Like why doesn't someone just go take him down? What about what Jesus is doing allows him to actually do it? That no one steps in to prevent him. I don't think anyone had ever seen such zeal in a man before. There was power in his condemnation. There was, there was some force in his whip that was beyond just the mere strength of a man who's mad. It was... It was the power of God at work that day, clearing those tables. So I think that there was, a, there was an anger, clearly, at what Jesus was doing, but I think it was a fearful anger. Like, this is a scary thing, but I better not touch it, you know? But they do come and say in verse 17, what sign do you show us for doing these things? In other words, what miracle, show us by a miracle, but what authority you have to come in here, Jesus, and do all this? Who are you to disrupt our temple and condemn this place? Jesus then says, all right, I will give you a sign. I'm going to tell you by what authority I do these things. Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. That was his answer. That was his chosen sign. And nobody understood what he said, and none of us would have either. I mean, they say, you know, how could... How could you raise this building that took 46 years to build? How could you do that? What you're saying makes no sense. It reminds me of the next chapter with, with Nicodemus, right? Jesus says, you must be born again. And he's like, well, how can that be? I don't understand how you... doesn't make any sense at all what you're saying, Jesus. And they're making the same mistake. They're, they're doing the same thing, these Jews in the temple that day. He's speaking of spiritual things and they're just seeing physical things. And therefore, if you only think in those physical terms, you don't understand what Jesus is saying. There are some of you in this room who read your Bibles and you don't understand what Jesus is saying. 
You hear people talk about the Bible and like how it makes sense to them and how it means so much to them, and you always feel like you're on the outside looking in saying, I mean, I, I hear the words, but I don't, I don't get it. God still seems distant from you. You seem removed from him. People seem excited about it, and you're not. People seem to long. I had someone tell me recently, if I could be in church every day, I would. And they said that for years to me, actually. And it's in the context of saying, but this other person in my family, I don't see any of that in them. You know, they, and, and this person actually kind of come to church sometimes, you know, go to, the, go to church once in a while. Inside of them was this great longing. But then it, I recognize that in this room there are people who don't have that longing and don't seem to even understand where it comes from. I want to give you, if that's you this morning, I want to give you hope. In verse 22, notice everyone there that day didn't get it, which tells me there's people who aren't getting it. There's people here this morning who don't necessarily get it. But it says in verse 22, when therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this. And then they believed the scriptures and the word that Jesus had spoken. When Jesus says these words, verse 22 tells us that it took the resurrection to make sense of what Jesus said. In fact, I will tell you it takes the resurrection to make sense of everything the Bible says. If you don't have the resurrection, you will not understand the Bible. It is what makes the Bible come alive. The fact that Jesus has risen from the dead tells me that there is hope for everyone in this room. In Ephesians, he, Paul prays for the believers. He prays for the church there. And he prays this for them. He says, He's praying that having their eyes of their hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of the power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. He's praying for the eyes of their heart to be enlightened. And they would know the power. And this power that they know is related to that power that was displayed when the resurrection happened. It's because of the resurrection that we can have eyes to see. And we can desire what we didn't desire last week. And we can know things we didn't understand before. Because of the power of the resurrection. So may everyone's eyes this morning be opened. And they will be if you ask for them in faith to see. May the words of this book come alive as you hear the, the scriptures and the words of Jesus. Now, verse 21 is the key to the passage. They didn't understand what he was saying until after the resurrection. That he wasn't talking about the building of stone before everyone's eyes, he was talking about his body. You see that? He was speaking about the temple of his body. 
He was talking about destroying, he wasn't talking about destroying that stone temple and rebuilding it in three days. He was talking about his own destruction. Destroy this temple. Destroy me. And I will raise it up in three days. Kill me and I will rise again. Let my body die. And you will find that my body raises to life. Soon there will be a crucifixion and soon there will be an empty tomb. Really interesting how John sets us up in what he says in the opening chapter of John. John 1.14, a familiar verse, he says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The Word who is Jesus, the Word who is God in the flesh, He dwelt among us. He he abided with us. He actually tabernacled with us. God made His tabernacle with us in Jesus, the Son of God. That's what's going on. When, when, When Jesus arrives, the presence of God arrives among His people. The glory of God is seen when Jesus arrives. Think of the glory of God in the temple in 2 Chronicles showing up. Fire from heaven. We can go through all these stories of the Old Testament. And the New Testament tells us that all of that glory, while maybe not shining as brightly all the time, meaning as in the manifestation like they see at the transfiguration, but the glory of God is fully present because God is fully present. And it sounds like temple talk, right? In John 1.14. And there is an exchange about to take place in Jesus that day at the temple that is shattering everything people knew about meeting with God. The meeting place with God was moving from the temple of stone to becoming the temple of his flesh. Jesus is the new temple. To answer our question, Jesus is the meeting place. If you want to meet with God, where do you go? You go to Jesus. Jesus' word about the temple stay with him throughout his ministry. They're used against him as he hung on the cross as the lamb to take away the sins of the world. Matthew records that as he hung on the cross, he said, then two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the son of God, come down from the cross. Like this never left him, the statement that he made. Even if they distorted it a little bit, they remember he was the man who said something about destroying the temple. And now look at him. He's being destroyed. They can't see right before their eyes that they are the ones destroying the temple, the temple of God. And the very sign to prove that he had the right to throw out the money changers that day was being fulfilled by them. Jesus' words were coming true in their choices to destroy. Isn't that amazing? Like, the, the, the sovereignty of God over what takes place 
in his life and in the crucifixion in particular, he is completely sovereign over. They're fulfilling the sign that he said would happen to justify what he had done, to prove to him that he had the right to throw out the money changers. The temple on Mount Zion was being replaced by the temple on Mount Calvary. One temple was fading away and the greater one was about to take its place. While the one whose glory filled Solomon's temple was dying, the temple up the hill was being shattered. The curtain that separated man and God was torn from top to bottom. Within a generation, that stone temple would disappear altogether. Along with the old covenant, within a generation, it would be gone. And the true eternal temple was about to rise. When Jesus said he would rebuild the temple, he was speaking of the resurrection morning. The resurrection of Jesus was the construction of the true tent of meeting. The new meeting place between God and man was coming to life. So what does that mean? What does it mean for us in this room? Everyone in this room needs a place to meet with God. Everyone here needs a meeting place. And we're no different than Adam or Abraham or the Hebrews in the desert. We need a meeting place with God where we can encounter him where we can have our sins atoned for, where we can find a place of forgiveness, where we can find a place to bridge the gap between sinners like us and a holy God. We need a place to worship God. We actually do need a temple. I don't think we need a temple very often. We don't say that. But everyone needs a temple. Everyone needs a tent of meeting. And we don't need one out of stone or brick. This building isn't the place. It's not some cathedral or through some ritual that you meet God. The temple that we need came and was born. It was a flesh and blood. And we need Him. We need the temple with the name Jesus Christ. So on this resurrection morning, we are all called to look to Jesus as the true temple of God, who was destroyed and raised three days later. You know, people saw that tabernacle, and they saw the glory. They saw the power of God at work and the display there. But when Jesus walked into the temple that day, they couldn't see it. They couldn't understand it. No one understood it. It took the resurrection to make it visible. That was the, the dedication of this new temple. And only on this side of the resurrection can we see it. So if you want to know and meet with God this morning, Christian, you need to go to Jesus. You need to recognize him as that for you. That you think about that. That when you meet with him in prayer, when you meet with him in the morning, in his word, you're saying, 
this is the place I get to go to meet with God because I'm meeting with Jesus. And if you are an unbeliever this morning, if you're the one I talked about before who still feels like when you walked in the building, you just don't get it all. It doesn't make sense to you and you, you don't even long for the courts. Well, I will tell you, you should and you must long for Jesus. That's the only place in all of creation that you can flee to, to meet with God, to be with God, to have your sins forgiven, and to know what eternal life is. People are trying to have eternal life. What did I just read? I just saw, I didn't even read the article, but I, I, I saw a headline yesterday, I think it was. Something like 20-something-something. Something. People will attend their own funerals in their new bodies or something. I don't know what it was. I didn't read it. But it was like, your body's going to die, but they're going to keep your brain alive. They're going to do something to keep you alive. Like they're still today, yesterday, writing articles about how can we stay alive. And they're going to die. If they don't know Jesus, they will die separated from God and never be able to meet him. At least meet him in his grace and kindness. The tent of meeting is the way. To meet with God is the, the truth about how to meet with God. And in him there is life. And if anyone wants to know the Father, they must go through him. We all have a temple to enter this day. Will the fullness of God dwells. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. There's no person, there is no place to be where God's fullness is more greatly manifest than when you see and spend time with Jesus. So our temple lives today. To be with him is to be in the presence of God, in the holy of holies. He is the, he's the resurrected temple. It's the resurrection of Jesus that brings all of Jesus' words and all of Scripture alive. That's why it says... When he was raised from the dead, his disciples remember these, and then they believed the scriptures, and then they believed his words. So come to him today. Come believing the resurrection. Come knowing that the only hope that we all have of resurrection is his resurrection. He will raise you to life. In his resurrection, you can have yours He is the only place, the resurrected temple, the resurrected Savior, the resurrected Lord, the one who calls you to come and believe. Come, believe, worship, and meet with God. Let's pray. Father, I'm thankful that you've given us a place in your Son. In him we have a, a holy place to be. Where he is the sacrifice for our sins and we can be forgiven. Where he is the, the, the priest who offers the, the blood that atones for sin. He's the one who tore the temple apart. Tore that curtain that we might enter in and find him there. And you'll cast no one out who comes. Lord, by your Spirit, give us more hope, more joy, 
joy, more clarity. Because Jesus is alive and available for all who will come. May we conclude our time, may we spend this day, may we spend this week worshiping in the temple of your Son. In Jesus' name, amen.